Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. So thankful that Jesus drank from the bitter cup for me. Because you know who's guilty of spiritual adultery? This guy. Been guilty of it. Unfaithful to God? This guy. In my relationship to him? This guy. Turning towards other things? Me. Me. But you know who never had to drink from that bitter cup? Me. Because he did it. Because Jesus stood in for me. Have you ever cheated on God? Think about it. Have you ever gone behind his back without him knowing about a sin? Or maybe you've even lied to God and excused yourself from a sin that you knew that you shouldn't have done. The good news is that God has grace for you. He's already washed away all of your sin so that you don't have to carry the burden on your shoulders. In today's message, Pastor James is going to help you walk through what it looks like to break out of spiritual unfaithfulness. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. When we rob from each other, when we, when we hurt each other, we're hurting the Lord. I mean, we're just, that's, the sin is, is first against, it's a betrayal of the Lord. That was in verse six. Verse seven, they, the guilty party, they must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done, adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wronged. Yeah, right? Like, hey, hey I don't know if anybody's watching a live stream who like works in like police departments or the White House. They're not, they're not watching. I mean, the Bible has some really good stuff. Really good stuff about dealing with crime. Really good things. You want to keep people from stealing? Okay, well, number one, they, you know, they could be locked up. That's one thing. Uh, how about retribution? How about paying it back plus 20%? That might curb that whole theft thing that we have a real problem with in Houston right now. I don't know if you noticed that for the past two years. Theft has skyrocketed in the town that's just not too far from us. Well, how do we, how do we stop that? Well, um, it's got to be more than a slap on the wrist. I think the Bible and God knew what he was doing when he laid out these rules and said, no, look, you address it like this. You, if you stole something from your neighbor, you're going to give it back plus 20%. That'll teach you. I bet that wasn't a big problem for these guys back in the day. We have a New Testament story that kind of magnifies this to a certain extent. You had a, a little guy named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. We little man was he, right? That's a song, I think. <laughs> Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he was going to see. I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from. I didn't go to church when I was a kid, so I don't know. But Zacchaeus was, he, he was notorious for stealing, essentially. And the law would say Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus and Jesus came to his house, because Jesus showed up and he's like, no, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house. You're going to your house. You didn't have to climb in a tree to see me because I was coming looking for you that in that city of Jericho. And so Zacchaeus has has Jesus and his followers, his disciples there at his house. And Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to pay everybody back. The law said 20%. Zacchaeus paid back 40%. 40. He didn't have to. 
But such was the transformation that Jesus had caused in his life. He was like, I'll go above and beyond what the law at one point in time had required. But that's where he gets this from, is in Numbers. We also saw this in, in Leviticus as well. But if you're going to steal from somebody, if you're going to rob from somebody, then you're going to pay them back whatever it was, plus 20%. And why? why? Why are we addressing this right now? And I hinted at it earlier. Unity is why. Warren Wiersbe says that another factor underscores the importance of confession and restitution. Israel was about to confront their enemies. And there could be no unity in the army if the people were in conflict with one another because of unresolved offenses. The soldiers would be alienated from each other and from the Lord. And that would lead to defeat. True unity begins when everybody being with everybody being right with God and right with each other. Right with each other. And stealing only hurts yourself. It really, you're only robbing yourself, right? I found this illustration today. In 1887, a man named Emmanuel, Emmanuel was visiting a small neighborhood grocery store, which he always frequented. He was buying some turnip greens. He gives the clerk a $20 bill, 1884, $20 bills. That's a lot of money, okay? So as the clerk begins to put the money in the cash drawer to give Emmanuel his change, she noticed that some of the ink from the $20 bill was coming off on her fingers, which were damp from the turnip greens. She looked at Emmanuel, a man she's known for years. She looked at the smudged bill. This man was a trusted friend. She has known him all her life, and there's no way he could be a counterfeiter. She gave him back his change, and he left the store. Eventually, it stuck with her, though, and she, she ended up calling the police to alert them of this. They verified that the bill was counterfeit, and they set a, a search to go find Emmanuel. And they go to his home, and in the attic, they found in his attic, that's where he was reproducing money. Okay, so get this. He was a master artist, master artist, and he was painting $20 bills, hand-painting $20 bills with brushes and paint. But also in the attic, they found three portraits that Emmanuel had, had painted, They seized these and eventually sold them at an auction for $16,000, okay, in 1887, $16,000. It ended up being a little bit more than $5,000 per painting. The irony is that it took Emmanuel almost as long to paint a $20 bill as it did for him to paint a $5,000 portrait. It says, it's true he was a thief, but the person from whom he stole the most was himself. Why are you painting $20 bills when you got three masterpieces in your attic, right? That kind of correlates right into this. If, if we're stealing from each other or if we're stealing from somebody else, you're not hurting anybody else. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. And then, I mean, that does, it does overflow into the corporate body. If this is believers stealing from believers, which should never happen, then, then we're just, that's friendly fire in the battle, like, no, there are, we're not supposed to be fighting amongst ourselves. We shouldn't be hurting ourselves. And this is really what, what the Lord, through Moses, is getting to the people. is like, we're going to address these things right now because we're about to march off into battle. So they got to confess their sins. they got to make restitution, and then they go additional. They go 20% above that. Verse 8, it says, but if the person who was wronged is dead... And there's no near relatives to whom the restitution can be made. A payment belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest. 
Those who are guilty must bring a ram as a sacrifice and they will be purified and made right with the Lord. So that's the good news, right? Like you've done a wrong, then you can be made right with the Lord. Like that's the beauty of it, okay? They're not kicked out of the family. They did a wrong. You did a wrong against a fellow brother and in this scenario, maybe that brother had passed away. There still has to be retribution, okay? It may not go to their family, but it's gonna go back to the Lord. But there's forgiveness, that he still makes available to each and every one of us. He's not kicking you out of the family, but he does expect for you to come back and own it. Say, I was wrong. I sinned against you, Lord, and I sinned against my brother. Make it right. Make it right. Make it right. All the sacrifice offerings that the Israelites bring to the priest will belong to him. Each priest may keep all the sacred donations that he receives. A little bonus for the priests there. They don't have anything. They don't own land, nothing like that. So anything that the priests are going to have, the Levites, is going to come from the other people, right? And sometimes they benefit from somebody else's stupidity, okay? <laughs> Be like, oh, you robbed that guy. Sweet. Where's that 20%? Now here's a, a, an interesting section, Okay verses 11 through the rest of chapter five. Protecting marital faithfulness. Interesting, okay? So you go from a very public kind of display of sin, robbing, stealing from others. That's very outwardly. Then you go into like this more of a secret kind of sin, right? Here's the deal. God knows the hidden sins of our hearts. So don't try to hide it from him because you will lose. We always lose, right? Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose a man, a man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. Oh, well, somebody does know about it. His name is God. Okay. All right. So this is a a hypothetical, right? Let's say this, this goes on. How do we handle this? So she's defiled herself, and even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act, if her husband becomes jealous or has a spirit of jealousy and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering." Right? And there's no sweetness to this thing. It's just straight bitter is what this offering is. Okay? An offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. Okay. Yeah. This is interesting because you're like, well, this just sounds, well, it sounds kind of, well, what if it's a dude? What if it's a guy, right? This sounds a little chauvinistic or whatever. It's not. Just so you understand, because this is sometimes hard for us Westerners to get, God, this is God's way of protecting women in marriages. Okay, because if this wasn't put into place and let's say a husband who has an issue with jealousy that is unfounded, it's constantly accusing his wife of sleeping around. Well, if this thing wasn't in place, what he would be, what he would have the right to do is to pull her out and have her killed. But this is God saying, no, 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 I'm going to protect wives. You can't just go and do whatever you want to your wife. You can't. You got a suspicion. Okay, bring her to the priest. Let's figure this out. And this would expose, it could expose the wife, but this could also expose the husband. Be like, dude, you got issues. Trust issues. How many times have you been at the temple today? Right? Like, you, got, you need counseling, right? You guys need to figure this thing out. Let's make this work. 
But this is a protective thing. And, and I, there's a lot of people who don't like the Bible who will go to this passage and say, see, look how horrible it is. The Bible just hates women and all this stuff. And they don't understand God, nor do they understand the word of God. This is a very protective thing. And Moses is using a hypothetical situation that really is going to save wives. The other thing is you can read through the Old Testament. We don't have every story recorded, but we know for sure you don't have any of these instances recorded at all. So there's, there's really no idea, like we don't even know if this ever even happened because Moses is through, you know, God speaking through Moses, just really just trying to get these people to like, you can say, figure it out, figure it out. That's why you talk. You're married your co-laborers in this thing together. You should communicate to each other and figure this thing out. You got a jealousy thing? Talk to your wife about that. If it's the wife, it's like, if she's, you know, planting seeds, so to speak, with like flirting with other dudes, you got to stop doing that because you're going to drive this guy nuts. So it really, it's just a, it's an issue of like, you guys come together, figure this thing out. But God is ultimately protecting these women saying, well, you can't just take her out of this, out of the, the city, so to speak, and stone her just because you think she's having an affair. So this is really grace. Okay, it doesn't always communicate like that, but this, is, this really is grace. But look at this whole process. Imagine, I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah, if, you don't, if you're not thankful that you live today, then you're, you, you're missing out. Because I'm so glad I didn't live back then. And I'm really glad that I wasn't part of like, wouldn't have been a part of the tribe of Levi and having to deal with this and be like, oh no, here they come again, right? <laughs> like, oh, okay, let's go through this process one more time. Verse 16 says, the priest will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. He must take some holy water in a clay jar and pour it into the dust he has taken from the tabernacle floor. When the priest has presented the woman before the Lord, he must unbind her hair, which means to let down her hair, and place in her hands the offering of proof, the jealousy offering to determine whether her husband's suspicions are justified. The priest will stand before her, holding the jar of bitter water that brings a curse to those who are guilty, right? So even this would be like, like, she didn't do it. She ain't got nothing to worry about. If she did it, she's sweating. She's sweating right now, right? She's like, oh man, is this real? Yeah, it's real. Oh, by the way, if, if a dude is, you know, because uh, I wrote down these references. What about the man? What if the man's having an affair, right? Kill him. Leviticus 2010, death. When you're like, should we do this today? No. No, I'm talking about, we've already gone through Leviticus. Leviticus 20.10. If there's adultery, it's death. Exodus 20.14. That was when the commandment was, was issued. You shall not commit adultery. Deuteronomy 5.18. Neither shalt thou commit adultery. It's repeated. So the, the man is not like, oh, he can do whatever. Unfortunately, I'll say this. Unfortunately, and at this point in time, too, you, you had men who had had multiple wives, okay? Even heroes of the faith, multiple wives and concubines who had been given to them uh, so that they can produce offspring. Going, reading through the Bible, one-year Bible, chronological order, all that good stuff, just cruised on through the story of Abraham. Abraham was given a concubine. That was not a good deal. That was not okay. But they, he wasn't the only one. You had other guys. Jacob had two wives. Now, he wanted one. His uncle Laban tricked him, gave him two, okay? He didn't want Leah, but he got Leah. 
But they, we've seen this. And, and so unfortunately, culturally at this point in time, if, you know, it just, the guys in the, in the, in the ladies weren't exactly treated the same. They weren't treated the same, okay? It was almost, now it doesn't say this, but it, it seems like it was almost expected like a guy was going to be unfaithful. Which is fascinating, because even in New Testament times, when you have Rome, Rome was like notorious for lack of purity in marriages. I mean, it was notorious for that. But Proverbs 6.32 says that for a man who pursues that adulterous relationship, it will destroy your soul. So what happens to the guy? He dies. He dies. That's what happens. May not physically, but he will die. He'll die. It'll kill him spiritually. It just will. Now, there's still grace, forgiveness, and all that beautiful stuff, but just don't play with it. Don't mess with it. Don't even, don't go near it. Just don't. I have a growing list, a growing list, and I, I hate this, but I have a growing list of people in ministry that I either they were once listened to or they had some sort of influence in my early walk with Jesus that have been now out of the ministry because of sexual affairs. And I hate that list. I hate it. And unfortunately, names keep getting added to it. Don't play with fire. Just don't play with fire, okay? And that's for all of us. Be smart. Be wise. Be wise. This is a battlefield. It's a battlefield, okay? So here we are, back in the story. Yeah, let's see here. Uh, she's holding, she's standing before the priest. Uh, when the priest is presenting the woman, okay, yeah, there you go. Jealousy offering to determine her, if the suspicion is justified. Priest will stand before her holding a jar of bitter water that brings a curse to those who are guilty. Yes, exactly right. All right, verse 19. The priest will then put the woman under oath and say to her, if no man has had sex with you or has been with you, I, I New Living Translation, I just like the transparency, okay? If you're like, Weird doesn't say that. Uh, well, New Lamb Translation does, okay? It, it doesn't, there's no, like, no beating around the bush here. It's if she's been with another man. At this point, the priest must put the woman under oath, okay? Saying, may the people know that the Lord's curse is upon you when he makes you infertile, cursing your womb to shrivel and your abdomen to swell. So there's like this physical thing that would happen to her when she would drink this bitter water. Now, there's nothing special about the bitter water at all. If something physically happened to her, that was the Lord. That was the Lord dealing with her. And there'd be like no, no getting away from it, no getting around it. Like you would, she would just be a parent. She would be required and the woman would be required to say yes or to say, yes, let it, let it be so. Verse 23, and the priest will write these curses on a piece of leather, wash them off in the bitter water. He will make the woman drink the water, bitter water that brings on the curse. When the water enters her body, it will cause bitter suffering if, if, if she is guilty. If she's not guilty, it just tastes bad. Just bad water, right? It's just like, ugh, ugh this is sick. And then she looks at her husband. She's like, all right, we need to talk, right? Like, she's like, look, nothing happened, all right? You and I. We're going to have a little counseling session outside, okay? Verse 25, the priest will take the jealousy offering from the woman's hand, lift it up before the Lord, and carry it to the altar. He will take a handful of flour as a token portion and burn it on the altar. And he will require the woman to drink the water. If she is defiled herself by being unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings on the curse will cause bitter suffering. Her abdomen will swell and her womb will shrink. And her name will be 
will become a curse among the people. But if she has not defiled herself and is pure, then she will be unharmed and she will be able to have children. Okay? And again, as far as we know, there's no records of this. And you would think with such a um, pronouncement that would be put on her, right? Like, I mean, it says her name will be, become a curse among her people. You really don't have any records of anybody of like, oh, stay away from oh, that lady, okay? As far as we know. Verse 29, this ritual, this is a ritual law for dealing with suspicion. If a woman goes astray and defiles herself while under her husband's authority, or if a man becomes jealous and is suspicious that his wife has been unfaithful, the husband must present his wife before the Lord, and the priest will apply this entire ritual law to her. The husband will be innocent of any guilt in this matter, but his wife will be held accountable for her sin, right? So that's just a dude who's got like, something ain't right, you know, and it's, it's got to be like founded upon, you know, factual things, so to speak. Because if he brings her and he's wrong, then he's wrong before the Lord. He's wrong before the Lord. And then he's got to deal with that. Here's what I wrote next to this in my little journal Bible. So thankful that Jesus drank from the bitter cup for me. Because you know who's guilty of spiritual adultery? This guy. Been guilty of it. Unfaithful to God? This guy. In my relationship to him? This guy. Turning towards other things? Me. Me. But you know who never had to drink from that bitter cup? Me. Because he did it. Because Jesus stood in for me. Amazing. Like, amazing. When you read through these stories and you're like, man, this is extreme. This is what I did to him. This is what I did to Jesus. I was unfaithful to the one who has always been faithful before I knew him and even in my relationship with him. It hasn't been 100%. I've gotten distracted. I've put my eyes on things I shouldn't be putting my eyes on, so to speak, and all that stuff. Like my allegiance hasn't always been 100% to him. That's the walk we walk. And praise God for repentance and coming back and coming back and coming back and learning, hopefully learning, learning, and learning. Stay away from that. Stay away from that. Stay away from that. Keep my eyes fixed on him. My eyes fixed on him. Because even if it, who cares if it's multiple times, even if it was just one time, he drank from a cup of suffering that you and I don't have to drink from. When he took all of our sins upon himself on the cross, so thankful for Jesus, so grateful for him. Now, real quick, chapter six, Nazarite law. Okay, so you go from that, now you're going to deal with individuals. Could be men, could be women, whoever wants to take this Nazarite vow, which Nazarite means set apart, or one who is separated, separated from. So verse One of chapter six, it says, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, either men or women, take a special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, they must give up wine and other alcoholic drinks. They must not use vinegar made from wine or from other or from other alcoholic drinks. They must not drink fresh grape juice. They must not eat grapes or raisins. As long as they are bound by the Nazarite vow, they are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the grape seeds or skins. Okay, so that's one area. Okay, one qualifier. You've 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken, a radio broadcast ministry of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Pastor James Grizzle has been teaching through the Book of Numbers. This is one of many messages found at breadforthebroken.com. So if you missed a portion of it today, we hope that you'll take the time to listen to it in its entirety. The website again is breadforthebroken.com. We understand that your minutes are precious to you and you have other obligations to fulfill. So why not listen on the go through our Facebook live stream? Or better yet, if you're in Galveston, Texas, on business or vacation, why don't you stop in to see what we're all about? If you enjoy a laid-back feel, then this is the place for you. Come worship Jesus while spending time with other believers at one of our two services, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. We'd love to meet you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Do you ever feel like you want to be a part of something bigger, but you're unsure of how or what that is? Here at Bread for the Broken, we want to help everyone find hope and new life in Jesus Christ. So we're curious if you'd team up with us to reach as many as possible. On our website, breadforthebroken.com, there's a place for you to donate to this ministry. We simply ask that you pray about it and follow the Lord's leading, whatever that might be. Thanks again for spending part of your day with us today. Tune in again next time to spend time in God's Word with Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken.